Good morning, Soul Sanctuary family. My name is Andrew, and I'm the Student Ministries Director here at Soul. And that means that I get the honor to work with our youth every single week, and I absolutely love it. And today, I get the privilege of continuing our series, From a Friend with You. And it's something that I'm really excited to do because I get to share about one of my favorite passages from the Bible today. And that passage is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. And it says this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word, and I pray that you open up our hearts and minds to what you have for us today, that we could learn and put into practice what you want to teach us. We thank you and we love you. Amen. Now, Paul was a masterful communicator. See, he had this important message that he wanted the Corinthians to understand. A spiritual truth that he wanted to sink deep into their hearts. So he used a metaphor that the Corinthian church would understand. That of an athlete. See, the Corinthians were familiar with their sports. The city of Corinth would actually host something every couple of years called the Isthmian Games. Now, these games were second only to the Olympic Games. They actually happened on the opposite years from them. So the Corinthians would be used to seeing the Isthmian athletes training. They probably would have gone to the games, cheered them on, got excited about them. So when Paul uses the metaphor of an athlete, it's something that the Corinthians would be completely familiar with. Now, as a bonus, this is a still an image that's very normal and very clear to us today. Uh, you might not be an athlete yourself, but you probably know someone who considers themselves an athlete, or, or you like sports, you like watching sports. I don't know about you, but I am absolutely pumped that the NHL, the NBA, soccer, all those sports are back. I've desperately missed them, and, and it's just been great to watch them again. But that, that idea of an athlete is still something that's true in our culture, something we can look to and, and know what they're talking about. And I love the excitement and passion that these athletes have finally being able to come and play the sport that they love again after a long break because of COVID. But I look at this passion, this excitement, and this zeal that they have, and I think, why is it that we don't live with that same zeal for Jesus? Why is it that often we live less like athletes in a game and more like fans in the stands? As people content to cheer those who are truly committed as they run, but then go back to life as normal when they're through watching the game. I think that it's because of what's required of us. See, we don't want to associate words like work or obedience or self-discipline with our faith. We don't want faith to be difficult for us. We want to focus on the nice, nice stuff, the, the light and fluffy stuff. We, we want that God who loves us. We want to think about the joy and the peace that he can bring us. And those are good things, don't get me wrong. But when we only focus on those things, that makes us more of an admirer, admirer of Jesus 
than actually a follower of Jesus. It makes us more like a fan in the stands than an athlete participating in the race. Kyle Eidelman, in his book, Not a Fan, writes this. He says, The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. See, we want Jesus. We want him to help us, and we want the eternal life that he promises us. But are we living our lives that way? What Paul is saying here is that it's not good enough for us to just be in the stands watching. In fact, it's not even good enough for us just to enter the race. In verse 24, it says, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. The point here is not that that Christianity is some competition and, and that there's only one winner at the end of the day. No, Paul is writing this to tell the Corinthian church, and in turn us today, that we need to run with purpose. And we need to run in such a way as to get the prize. And these are the questions that we want to talk about today. What is the prize that we're running for? And how do we run in a way so as to receive it? Let's start with that first question. What's the prize? What is the end goal? What's our motivation for running this race at all? Verse 25 says, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Paul points again to the image of an athlete. When they win the race, they're awarded a prize. In the Isthmian Games, this would have been a victor's wreath, but, but that's something that fades away. It reminds me of a box of medals that I, that I won in different sports growing up as a kid. And when I moved out of my parents' house, I found this box again, and I looked inside, and it brought all sorts of fond memories back of sports and winning different things. But in the end, those medals all ended up in a box. They were forgotten. They collected dust. In the moment, those medals and those victories that they represented felt like the biggest deal. It was incredible. It was amazing. But now they're just collecting dust. They were a big deal in the moment, but their importance and value faded away very quickly. But that isn't the prize that Paul says we're striving for. In 2 Timothy, Paul, as he's nearing the end of his time on earth, says this. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the prize that Paul's talking about. An eternal crown, one that doesn't wither and die or sit and collect dust. I think sometimes we lose sight of what's promised to us. I think we lose the wonder and the awe and the excitement that we once had, and we forget about being able to spend eternity with Christ. Once we've heard it hundreds of times, we forget how great this eternal prize is. Guys, we get to spend eternity in unity with Christ in heaven where there are no more tears or suffering and we get to come to the full knowledge and relationship with an all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving God. That's an incredible promise. 
And it's a promise that isn't just meant for us. It's for all who believe. Which brings us to the other motivating factor that we should have when running the race. See, we have to remember to read these verses in context. Last week, Pastor Jordan taught about how the message of Jesus is for everyone. He taught about how Paul gave up his rights and freedoms, how he became all things to all people. Why? So that he could share the good news with those around him. So that nothing would hinder the good news of the gospel. In the verse right before what we're reading today, verse 23, it says, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So our motivation for running the race and for running the race with purpose is twofold. It's that first we may receive the eternal prize, and that's an incredible prize that that, that we forget about sometimes that, that loses its awe. But there's another prize as well. There's another reason we're running, and that's so that other people can receive that eternal prize as well. That's our motivation for this race. Which brings us to the second question. How are we to run in such a way so as to receive the prize? What does this actually look like? How does this look like in my everyday life? Let's look back to the passage. Verses 26 and 27 say this. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul highlights two things here from his own life and brings us back to the image of an athlete. He highlights living purposefully and having self-discipline. And these are characteristics that I think you see in all world-class athletes. Do you think that Connor McDavid was just like chilling on his couch one day watching some hockey and he's like, hey, I I could probably do that. And so he just got up off his couch and suddenly he was the best player in the NHL. No, it took thousands and thousands of hours on the ice working on his skating, his stick handling, his shooting. And it took thousands of hours more in the gym working on his speed, his stamina, and his strength. Do you think that LeBron James was always just one of the best basketball players in the world? Of course not. This man puts in work. During the season, his body fat percentage is somewhere between 6 and 8%. I, and, and I'm no doctor, but that's not something that just happens by itself. No, it takes an incredible of, amount of work and of self-discipline. If you've never done it before, I'd encourage you to actually look up the routines and workouts of these, that these professional athletes do every week. It's incredible. But they know their goal and they want to be their best, so they're willing to put in the work. Paul gives other examples of this earlier in chapter 9 when he gives the examples of soldiers and farmers. And again, I'm no farmer, but some of my in-laws and relatives are, and I know for a fact that they work hard. They want to see the yield from their crops, so they put in the work. But that makes me ask the question, are you willing to put in the spiritual work? Are you willing to spend time studying scripture? Are you willing to spend time every day in prayer? Are you willing to fast, to tithe, to worship, to make disciples, to confess? Are you willing to put the effort into your spiritual life? You see, just like an earthly relationship, if you want your relationship with God to grow and to flourish, you have to put in the time and you have to put in the effort. 
you have to be willing to put in the work. And this may require sacrifice on your part. Not only do athletes like McDavid or LeBron spend tons of time in the gym or on the ice, but they discipline themselves in other areas of life as well. They care about what they eat and how they sleep. They spend time mentally preparing for their end goal. They recognize that in order to gain what they want in the end, they might have to give some things up. They might have to sacrifice certain things in order to reach their end goal. In Hebrews 12, we see the imagery of a race used again. And it's in verses 1 to 3 that it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want you to take note of that first verse. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I think when we read this verse, and I know for myself this has been the case sometimes, But uh, we look at it and we're like, yeah, we're supposed to throw off the sin that easily entangles us. That's true. We don't want sin in our lives. Part of being spiritually disciplined and and living this new life with Jesus is to stop living in sin. To stop falling into temptation, to let God transform your mind, and to live a new life for him. But that's not all it says. See, we miss a very important end in the middle of that sentence. It doesn't just say throw off the sin that so easily entangles. It says, let us throw off everything and the sin that so easily entangles. It's not just the sin we need to throw off. It's everything that's stopping us from running towards the prize. It's everything that's distracting us from fixing our eyes on Jesus. And these aren't necessarily even bad things. If you look back over the last two life lessons, We see Paul talking about all these perceived rights and privileges that the Corinthian church are holding on to. The rights and freedoms that they are placing above the gospel. And we see Paul just going, stop it! Yes, you may have this right. You may be free to do this. But you need to be willing to give up all these rights and all these freedoms for the sake of the gospel. See, an athlete doesn't just go up to their trainer with an entire chocolate cake that they're munching on, and when the trainer tells them to stop, they respond with, it's my right to eat what I want. You can't tell me what to do. I'm a free person. No. They realize that they have to give up their short-term desire of chocolate cake, which really is only of limited value, in order to pursue the end goal that really matters. I don't know if you're a goal setter or not, But if you are, you know that setting goals and actually following through with them sometimes requires us to give things up, to sacrifice different things. Maybe you want to achieve something or learn something or or become skilled in something new. Very quickly, you're going to realize that doing so requires your time, it requires your energy, and you might have to give up those small, short-term desires in order to gain what you really want. And this is what Paul is saying here. He uses the metaphor of athletic competition here because athletes give up something to gain a prize. 
But as much as that's true for athletes or for us in our own lives, these small goals that we have in life, Paul is saying it's worth so much more. How much more true is it of the imperishable prize of Christ? If you want Jesus, if you want him forever, and if you don't just want a a wreath that's going to fade away and die, but rather something that you will never lose throughout all of eternity, that's going to require you in the short term to give up a lot of things along the way. To give up perishable worldly desires in order to gain the imperishable prize that is Christ. I've heard it put this way. Would you want to eat a mediocre fast food burger if you knew that there was a great steak dinner waiting for you at home? A while back, Daniel, one of our interns from this last year, released a guided prayer on Soul's Instagram page. And in it, he asked the question, what's on the throne of your heart? And that's the question that I want to pose to you as well today. What's on the throne of your heart? What gets your attention most? What do you value the most? Now, this might take some time of self-reflection, of introspection. But if you look inside and come to a place where you realize that there are things that come before Jesus on the throne of your heart, and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then something has to change. And we're really good at making lame excuses. I I know because I make them myself sometimes. There are days when I go, oh, I, I mean, I don't know if I really have enough time to read my Bible today. I've got lots of stuff going on. That's wrong. You make time for what's important to you. I'm going to say that again. You make time for what's important to you. So if Jesus is important to you, you better be making time for him. He better be the one on the throne of your heart, nothing else. Now, I'll be honest, this is way easier said than done. In fact, it can actually be really, really difficult. See, it's easy to be lazy, to be complacent, to be comfortable with where we're at. And it can be hard to be self-disciplined. It can be hard to make sacrifices. It's hard to give up our rights and our freedoms. But here's some good news for you today. You don't actually have to do it alone. At Seoul, one of our family values is that you can't do life alone. These athletes don't do it all by themselves either. They, they probably have some of the best will and self-discipline in the world, but they don't do it alone. See, they have trainers, they have coaches, they have teammates who push them to be their best. And this should be true in our spiritual journeys as well. If we look back to the start of our From a Friend series, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul's main message was urging the Corinthians to be unified and to be unified in their purpose. In verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. One mind united in thought and purpose. At the beginning of COVID, when everything was basically shut down and we were all just staying in our own homes for long periods of time, Brianna and myself decided that that we wanted to get back into better shape. I don't know about you, but when it comes to working out, I'm not very self-motivated. I love my sports. I love playing sports and getting my exercise that way. 
but but I don't really get the people that just like run for the sake of running. Like like is something chasing you? Why are you running? I, I don't get the sake of lifting weights for for the sake of lifting weights. It's not something that that's normal for me. Yeah, now don't get me wrong, I have a lot of respect for people who do that, but it's just not me. But this is something that we wanted to do. And it helped me to actually follow through on the goal of getting back into better shape by having Brienne there with me. She pushed me to be better. She encouraged me to keep going. And she gave me a kick in the butt when I didn't feel like putting in the work. And that's how it should be in our spiritual lives as well. Yes, we need to put in the spiritual work, but no, we don't need to do it alone. See, that's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of being involved in a life group. You have people that help carry you when you're struggling, encourage you when you're down, and celebrate with you when things are going well. And the Bible backs this up. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Proverbs 27 verse 27 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. And Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 to 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. And this list could go on and on. So who are the people in your life that encourage you, that spur you on? The people that give you that proverbial smack in the face when you're being dumb and kick in the butt when you're being lazy. If you don't have those people in your life already, I'd encourage you to join a life group. If you, if you don't know how to do that, you can email the office and one of our pastors can get you connected with the group. Because the reality is our faith can be hard work. See, we like to focus on the easy stuff, but without living with purpose and self-discipline, we're really more like fans of the game than we are athletes in the sport. And we need to remember why we're putting in that work. We put it in not only so that we would receive the eternal prize, but also so that those around us have the opportunity to receive the gospel as well. See, we're an example to those living around us. The way you live your life is an example to your friends, to your family, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, and everyone else in your sphere of influence. And if we want to teach someone to live in a certain way, then we need to live that way ourselves first. How can we bring someone to know Christ when we don't know him ourselves? How can we teach someone what we don't know or what we haven't experienced ourselves? How can you expect your friends who are new to the faith to live in a certain way if you don't live that way yourself? Parents, how can you expect your kids to live in a certain way if you're not modeling that for them? We're an example by the way we live to those around us. And Paul's focus all throughout chapter 9 was on the gospel. In verse 23, he says, I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. And he didn't just talk that way. He lived it out. So as we close today, I want us all to consider a few questions. Are our eyes fixed on the prize, or have we lost the sight, the wonder, and the glory that is eternal life with Jesus? Are you actually in the race, or are you more like a fan in the stands?
And are you willing to put in the spiritual work? Are you self-disciplined, running with purpose, and willing to sacrifice your short-term desires in order to gain what's really important in the end? Are you running in such a way so as to receive the prize? Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the good news of the gospel and for the eternal prize that awaits us. And I thank you that we get to be a part of sharing that good news with other people. God, I pray that you give us the strength and the willingness to put in the spiritual work that's necessary to pursue that eternal prize. I pray that you give us people around us that can encourage us and help us on that journey. And ultimately, God, I pray that we keep our eyes fixed on you, throwing off everything that hinders us and running towards you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our blessing this week is taken from Hebrews 12. Therefore, soul family, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Be blessed, and we'll see you next week.